Amy, we've got a bunch of little nieces and nephews between us, but we've also got a catch-all gift that all of our siblings love for their newborns. You're totally right, and it's Pampers Swaddlers, because Pampers Swaddlers wick wetness away to keep babies drier and subsequently parents happier. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better versus the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance. They're hypoallergenic and they're free of parabens and latex. Now you can try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes won't tear. In fact, they grip mess, shall we say, more firmly and clean better, leaving baby skin dry, soft, and smooth. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fresh Take from What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the face of motherhood. This is Margaret. And this is Amy. And today we are delighted to be speaking to Ash Brandon. Ash is a middle school teacher and gamer. They bring their experience as an educator to their Instagram page at The Gamer Educator, where they help families better understand and manage technology to benefit their whole family. Welcome, Ash. Hi, thank you so much for having me. You were specifically requested by several of our listeners, and I'm sure a lot of people are are familiar with your great work on Instagram, but tell us a little bit about the gamer educator and what it means to be both of those things. So my page, the gamer educator kind of came to be because I, for a long time, have been someone who has often like always loved video games in a pretty casual way. Like I wouldn't say it like defines my identity, but I enjoyed them. And then when I went into education, I thought, you know, this is something I love. I know it's something other kid that kids love. And maybe I can really draw on that and make my teaching better. And I pretty quickly realized that that was not necessarily a conversation that a lot of other educators necessarily wanted to be having. And that was kind of what originally got me into this work was really coming at it from the educator perspective, trying stuff in my classroom, experimenting, and then kind of talking about it from that perspective. And I didn't really go into the social media space until in the midst of the pandemic because I wasn't able to go out into like public spaces, like conferences and conventions. And I kind of naively thought like, oh, this is kind of a, the hesitance I'm seeing, that's just an education thing. Like other adults, they wouldn't have this hesitancy because they have kids and they see potential value of games all the time. And then I quickly realized that's not true. (laughs) And that many families are struggling in many ways to make sense of these things. And so that's when I kind of pivoted and thought, okay, I need to be addressing kind of the concerns I'm hearing and really helping people understand why should we be looking at games not necessarily as a bad thing, but as something that could be something we draw on, something that is a part of our kids' lives without necessarily being the center of their lives and finding that balance. And that's kind of how the Gamer Educator came to be and uh, kind of what I use when I'm my like central tenant when I'm trying to focus what I'm doing on content is like it can be part of their lives, not the center of their lives, and it should benefit whole families. Can we start, as we like to do, with some definitions? Because I feel like some of the language gets very blurry. There's games. There's what people refer to as like game games and educational games. And then there's this kind of more generic term of 
screens and screen time. And can you tell us where you make those distinctions? It's kind of a big question, but are we talking about games as different from educational games, as different from generic screen time? Are they all different things? So how I think about them is probably going to be different than how other families think about them. And I don't think the way I think about them is right. I think that, you know, other families are going to think about this however they want to. And that's fine. If you want to break it down, it's totally fine. I used to be very specific of like talking about video games. And then I kind of expanded because a lot of what I talk about really does apply to screens more broadly. You know, if you're struggling to have your kid turn off the TV, it's the same kind of principles and ideas. So this really can apply. And I also kind of broadened because of exactly what you just said. I did an interview once where I heard the recorded interview after the fact, and there was uh, like another commentator who wasn't in my interview. They just like came in afterward. We hate it when they do that. So it is interesting because I do think a lot of people have a lot of different definitions. Like I encountered someone once who said like, oh no, my kid doesn't play video games. They just play Roblox. And that (laughs) really surprised me because I'm like, what? Like to me, that is absolutely a video game. Um And I do think sometimes we draw those boxes because some of us, I think, think video game equals bad. Right. And therefore, I'm going to find some way to say, oh, this is no, no, it's not a video game. And I think that's also why I try not to always draw as many of those lines because I'm like, well, if we're talking about screens, let's just talk about screens. And sometimes breaking down some of those potential like boundaries we might put up actually can sometimes help us reframe how we think about some of them. You know, if we think TV is fine and tablet is not fine, it's like, well, why are we actually thinking that? Right. Sometimes it can help challenge us and kind of help us reframe that. So I don't necessarily think of them as that different. Other people might. Another reason I don't always like to make distinctions between what kind of game, like a quote unquote educational game and what we might call an entertainment game, you know, something you're just doing for pleasure is that again, sends the message that one of those things is better than the other. And that might not necessarily be true. Many educational games actually are not very good at teaching. And they also aren't fun. Like they're not very good learning tools and they're also not very fun to play, but we put them under this label and then we somehow think they're better. Whereas a kid might play a game meant for entertainment and actually do some really complex things that really are like full of critical thinking opportunities. But we might say, oh, but that's not educational because we didn't label it that way. That's too fun to be educational, right? It's supposed to be boring. and Right. Right. Exactly. So to me, sometimes breaking down that those barriers can kind of help us maybe reframe how we're thinking about it. And sort of the most refreshing thing, speaking for myself, but I know a lot of parents for the same way about your, your content is that you help families reframe screens as a sort of morally neutral or value neutral. You made sort of a a statement. I was like, wow, I really need to sit with this. The idea that a kid who's really good at soccer and really enjoys playing soccer and spends a lot of time playing soccer is not using their time better than a kid who really likes gaming and is really good at gaming and is really fulfilled by it. That those are neutral. There isn't like one parent gets an A and one parent doesn't. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think the part at the end there that you said is really key because someone might hear the example you just gave and think, well, but of course soccer is better because it's physical. And I do understand why our brain like kind of go where we go to that space, but we can also recognize that neither one of those things would be good if it was the only activity our kids did. Yes. I see what you mean. You know, if all our kid ever did was play soccer, 
well, they probably should do something else besides play soccer. And when we say yes to soccer, most people know that we're not saying yes to only soccer. But when we say yes to gaming or yes to screen time or yes to iPad at the restaurant, somehow it's like we're only saying we're saying yes to that all the time. And that's the only thing they do. But if we were to apply that to anything else, it would seem absurd. We know that we don't only do soccer and we don't only do iPad time. Mm -hmm. It exists within a realm of things that we do. And just as soccer might be one part of our kid's life, iPad or video games or whatever might also be one part of their life. And choosing that is a morally neutral decision and or I think needs to be a morally neutral decision so that we can really view it as utility, like as a tool. We hear that a lot of like screens or tools, use them like tools. Parents should use them like a tool. Well, you can't really use it like a tool if every time you use that tool, you think, I am not a good parent for using this, right? If every time you picked up a screwdriver, you thought, <laughs> oh, oh, but the hammer is the much better tool. I like <laughs> should be hand twisting this. Right, right, right. If you picked up a drill and you're like, no, I should be using this. I should be doing it by hand, right? You probably wouldn't use it as often. And so when we put that judgment on it, then it really cannot be a tool and it can't be something that we really view as just another part of our lives if we're always viewing it with a sense of shame. Mm -hmm. I'm talking to Ash Brandon, the gamer educator. We'll be right back. Margaret, I've got a go-to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? Amy, three guesses. First two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddlers. Exactly. Pampers Swaddlers keep baby skin dry, happy, and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better than the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist-approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes are five times stronger, gripping mess more firmly, shall we? say, and making diaper changes a breeze. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Amy, when I'm dehydrated, I get headaches. I get cranky and I don't feel good in general. Also, I am dehydrated a lot of the time. <laughs> right. <laughs> because being good with the water bottle is one thing, but getting that sodium and potassium with the fluids, turns out that is the key to saying optimally hydrated. So whether you're looking to hydrate during your workout, while traveling, or at the end of a long night, Sports Research Hydrate Electrolytes have got you covered with over 65 trace minerals, seven essential vitamins, and coconut water powder. Crisp and refreshing without any sugar, this is hydration powered by Sports Research. Each box has 16 little stick packs that you can take on the go, whether you're headed to an exercise class, a night out with friends, or a podcasting conference. And did we mention they come in delicious flavors from raspberry lemonade to cherry pomegranate? Stay hydrated with Sports Research Hydrate Electrolytes. Visit sportsresearch.com and use the code WHATFRESH at checkout for 50% off your purchase of Hydrate. That's 
S-P-O-R-T-S-R-E-S-E-A-R-C-H.com, sportsresearch.com, and use code WHATFRESH for 50% off your Hydrate Electrolytes order. Margaret, I've been at the research again, looking into metabolic health, and more importantly, metabolic flexibility, which turns out is the key to improved energy levels, better sleep, better fitness, all the things. And I found out about all this because we got a chance to try Lumen, the first handheld device that helps you manage your metabolic health. Lumen works when you breathe into it. If you do that first thing in the morning or after a workout, Lumen measures your metabolism by measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in your breath. It's science, people. That lets you see exactly what's going on in your body in real time. Then you use Lumen's app to get tailored guidance to improve your sleep, your nutrition, even stress management. If you're interested in figuring out the effects of different sorts of foods on your body, Lumen is a really cool way to see what's actually happening as your body burns different Different fuel sources. If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use Fresh to get $100 off your Lumen. That is L-U-M-E-N dot M-E. Lumen.me and use the code Fresh at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. So Ash, the reason that some of our listeners said like, okay, you have to have Ash on the show is that we've had other guests talking about, you know, other things about screens. This was more about social media, social media and the unturnoffableness of it all and, you know, the encroaching nature of it. And you can feel pretty helpless as a parent. I mean, these platforms are designed to be really, really hard to stop playing. And so there's a lot of hand wringing that can approach that because it's like it's on you parents, but it's an algorithm that's more powerful than the parent. And so, you know, you approach this again with games being a little bit more neutral, but also that maybe some of the fear mongering around this is sort of overhyped or based on older studies. Yeah, I mean, we could have a conversation just about that. Then that could be all we talk about for an hour. But without getting too in the weeds, when we hear a lot of more kind of negative attention grabbing headlines, and also this is sometimes true when it's positive too, mm-hmm. it almost always tends to be correlational data, meaning this thing happens and then this other thing happens. But it is almost never causal data, meaning this thing is causing this thing to happen. And something that I think many people might not know or they forget when we're encountering causal data or correlational data around technology and particularly around video games and screen time is that screen time and video games are incredibly ubiquitous. There's a study from 1998, which is at this point, you know, pretty long time ago. And in the 1998, they found that over 90% of adolescents were playing video games. I mean, that's a lot. That's a really high percentage. I mean, well before the dawn of cell phones when you would be able to have it in your pocket. Right. And so many studies since then, and this gets back to the earlier question of like, how do you even define a video game anymore? You know, does a tablet game count? Does Candy Crush count? If I play it once, does that count as being a player or not? But depending how you define it, often the percentage is over 90% of kids and often of younger adults. And sometimes even of older adults, like women aged like 40 to 55 are one of the higher gaming demographics, believe it or not, which I think would surprise a lot of people. And so when you think about, okay, 90% of the population is doing this, Mm -hmm. then a common question I really love to ask myself is, okay, when I'm hearing this like fear mongering thing, of like, oh, it's going to make my gray matter go away or something. I ask myself, does this make sense? 
Like it's a very simple reframe, but just does it make sense? Like, does it make sense that something like, oh, video games in a study, which could be any kind of game for any length of time, right? There's thousands of different kinds of games that are going to affect every person and every brain probably a little differently. Does it make sense that that would cause something like this to like 90% of the population? And oftentimes my the answer is like, probably not. That probably doesn't seem like it would be all the way there, at least the way maybe we're hearing sometimes in clips and in news or in social media. There were some very early studies in the early 2000s that did try to show what we a causal relationship between video games and negative behavioral outcomes. And they actually didn't really find strong statistical evidence. They chose to publish anyway. The most famous and often quoted of these is a 2000 study by Anderson and Dill. I'm just putting that out there in case people recognize it or see it somewhere. But their causal data, I can't remember the technical term in, in statistics right now, but their data did not have a significant enough outcome to show that it would hold up through repetitive studies. Mm. So if it had been repeated, their data results were weak enough to say, ah, this, we probably wouldn't get this result again. But they still chose to publish and they still chose to say, well, we think this shows that video games call us negative behavior. And they also conducted the study on adults, college age adults, but they applied their results to children. So they did the study on 18 to 20 year olds. And then in the results of their study, they wrote, this means that kids are going to be aggressive if they play games. And it's pretty easy to look at that and go, I don't think you can I'm do that. Sure, right. right. <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure that's not actually how you can draw conclusions like that. But that study, even now, is still cited. Like, it's still, it is extremely pervasive. And when you grow up with that, and when, like, as a elder or millennial, as we, as we grow up hearing that and hearing that in news segments and all the stages that we've gone through of society kind of blaming media for things it becomes part of your ethos. And that's extremely hard to undo and to unwind. So I don't even know if hearing that is even very helpful for people, because if you've spent that long associating video games or screens with negative things, you might just think, well, okay, fine, the data maybe isn't reliable, but I still think they're bad. And so that's why sometimes I take the stance more of less, let's focus on every single study and more Let's just recognize that there is value in doing fun things. And that doesn't mean that it's all we ever do. But if we want kids who will be adults who can balance fun things with the rest of their life, then we can help them gain that skill when they're kids. And that's possible to do. Yeah. I wanted to make one more point because I thought this was so fascinating, something that you underlined in your work about the sort of causation that you can think things go one way, but it might be the other way. And the example I'm thinking of is people who say like, well, my kid is so dysregulated after they play, right? And I don't want my kid playing video games because they're so cranky and angry afterwards. And you suggest we might be looking at it from the wrong direction. Yeah. And Depending on which thing you're thinking of, I may have said more than one thing, but uh, <laughs> depending on which way you mean. But what's coming to mind when you say that is a couple of things. One, sometimes we see that. And if what one way of reframing it is, is this making my kid dysregulated or are they basically trying to help themselves through difficult emotions? Like, right. Are, That's what I was getting at. Like, oh, Bad day in middle school. I'm going to unwind with some, you know, Mario Kart, right? Because, because 
I got in a fight with my friend and I'm going to deal with it. Exactly. If I come home from a bad day, well, sometimes I will play video games, to be honest, but many adults, if they come home from a bad day and they walk in the door and they are like huffing and like, oh, I got in this fight with this coworker and I'm going to go for a run, right? We would look at that and we go, oh, that's very healthy coping, right? You're going to do something to feel that emotion. We probably would not say, you're going to go for a run. Well, you go for a run every time you like you feel bad. You're always angry when you're running. I think running is making you angry. We probably would not say that because we would probably recognize like, oh, okay, maybe it's going the other way. And that can also be true for things like gaming, especially I'm glad you brought up middle school because especially around middle school, like think about a child's day, even at young, young ages, they are listening all day long. They have very little agency in their day. They're being told what to do, where to go, take out your pencil, put it away, write this down. Why aren't you paying attention? Get back in your seat, stop moving. Like that's a a lot. And then when they get older, if you add the whole layer of social, like navigating friends and who said what, and I have three minutes in passing period to try to navigate some friend drama. Now I have to go and focus on science and They have very little time to feel like they have any control over their lives. And video games are actually a space where they can exert a lot of control and feel like they are in control in a pretty safe, regulated environment. And that might be the first time in eight hours that they are the only one deciding what to do. And the game is not going to yell at them. And the game is not going to judge them. And the game isn't going to say, what are you doing? I told you not to put that over there. If the game doesn't like what you're doing, the game won't let you do it. It's not going to admonish you. It's not going to punish you. It's not going to send you to your room. It's not going to turn itself off. It's just going to say, no, you can't do that. Yeah. The boundaries are so clear in the gaming world, right? Like you can't go over there. Yeah. And neutral. And neutral. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's not emotions to the boundaries. It's just like, no, that's a wall. You can try it 50,000 times. It's still going to be a wall. But if that's how you want to spend your day, that's fine. And then you can do whatever you want within those rules. And that is something that a lot of kids don't get in other parts of their lives. Now, if you're someone listening to this and you think, well, and you're coming from more of an anti, I still don't want my kid to play game standpoint, fine. There are many, many ways that kids can get that feeling. My point is they often need that feeling. And sometimes video games are like the lowest hanging fruit of ways to get that feeling. It's easy. I know how to access it. I can maybe do it on my own. You know, I don't have to wait for the neighbor kid to be home or for it to be good weather. It's always kind of available. So that might be why kids are asking for that because they know it's a quick fix for that feeling. That doesn't mean we have to say yes. And that doesn't mean it's the only way they're going to get that feeling. If we recognize, wow, okay, they do seem to really want to like decompress. Well, we can offer them other ways of doing that. We can say, oh, hey, I noticed you really like playing Minecraft when you get home. I noticed you're always trying to build something. Tomorrow, why don't we try building with some Lego after school instead of Minecraft? And that doesn't mean they're going to like it the same amount. But then we also are showing them, we recognize that this is what you like. We're not saying it's bad. We're trying to find other ways to help them get that same feeling so that then we are also helping them figure out what works for them, what doesn't, what other interests they might have that can go along with their with their gaming interests alongside it. It makes so, so much sense to me. Okay, I'm talking to Ash Brandon, the gamer educator. We'll be right back. Amy, you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is 
Toast with peanut butter on top. Toast with peanut butter. It's also, by the way, one of my favorite power breakfasts. So we agree on that thing. We were recently together and we shared some toast with peanut butter. And I'm going to tell you, we used Hero Bread. It adds even more protein and fiber to that combo without adding any more sugar. Hero Bread has remade the carby, empty calorie bread products into versions that include no net carbs, zero gram sugar, and fewer calories, plus more protein and fiber while still being super fluffy and delicious. I was not sure that that particular combination was going to be possible, but Hero Bread has figured it out. Yeah, this is one I'm glad they let us try. It's like, it really tastes good. I've been trying to add more protein to my diet, and I would have thought that a hamburger rolls was not the place to do that, Amy. <laughs> but all of Hero Bread's products, from rolls to tortillas to croissants, we please, offer protein and fiber, zero to one grams of net carbs, and zero grams of sugar. Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to Hero.co and use the code MOTHERHOOD at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's H-E-R-O dot C-O and code MOTHERHOOD for 10% off your order of Hero Bread. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. All right. So Ash, in part three, we love moving to solutions. And that's something you provide in great amount of helping parents, families. I was going to say helping parents put parameters around game time, but it's not. It's creating systems that work for literally everyone in the family. Absolutely. I kind of mentioned this earlier when I talked about gaming or screens as a tool. And this is another reframe I do a lot is that when thinking about, you know, what's the right amount? What's too much? What should I allow my child to play or watch? What helps me is asking instead of how much or what is instead asking, are we using screens in a way that lets everyone get their needs met? And I find that to be a very powerful question because let's say that you are trying to make dinner and you put on an episode of, I don't know, Paw Patrol. And let's say that when it's time to turn it off, your child then has a 45 minute meltdown. Well, I got 30 minutes of time and now I'm having to invest 45 minutes of time. So maybe that isn't worth it, right? Like maybe that is not worth it to me. And the next step to me is not to then say, oh, I knew it. Like this is Paw Patrol's fault. It's the TV's fault. It's the game's fault because that doesn't help anyone. Like if it makes you feel better, go for it. But that doesn't make tomorrow any better, right? That's not going to help your child with that feeling. It's also not going to make it any easier for you to navigate this without the use of a screen necessarily. Instead, we can get curious and say, okay, that didn't work. So what can we try differently? Maybe we try slightly less time. Maybe we try, you know, one mini episode instead of two. If we're playing a game, maybe we try five fewer minutes, right? It, maybe we try something else. Maybe we say, you know what? Yesterday we watched Paw Patrol. That didn't go so well. So today let's try watching other show where, hey, it was really, really hard for you to stop playing Minecraft yesterday. I think it's because it's this really big open world. So today we're going to play Mario Kart. And when the race is done, we're going to have dinner. 
because that way you're saying, okay, we're going to try something with a more finite ending to see if maybe the format has anything to do with it or the structure. And then we're being much more like investigative and figuring out how do I make this work for me? And how do I also make it work for my kid? Because again, then the conversation we can be having with our kid is, what are we noticing? I noticed it was, it seemed easier for you to stop playing today. We could say like, how did it feel for you? Was it easier? Was it harder? How is it different? And then helping them notice, oh, okay. So it was easier when you got to the end of a level. It was easier when you had a clear stopping point. Hmm. I wonder, would it help if I gave you a five minute like reminder when you're playing Minecraft, let's try that tomorrow and see how it goes. So then we're still being clear of like, we're still going to end, right? We're still going to end, but you get to try again because if we want this to work for us and we are trying to find a way to let this be part of our kids' lives, then it's again, problem solving in a way that gives our kids skills to navigate this eventually one day on their own. Because I want a kid who can go to college and say, sorry, I have to stop. I have a midterm and get up and leave, right? I don't want a kid who moves into the dorm, who has no experience managing this, who then is like, oh my gosh, I finally get to play video games as much as I want for the first time in my life. I'm never going to go to class. I don't want that. Right. I want a kid who can say, oh, no, I'm fine. It'll be here when I get back and has built up those skills to get there. And the reason I say it's important to think about how it's benefiting a whole family is that as the adult or the caregiver, your needs also get to matter and they should matter because we often are using screens to fill in a gap, to fill in a lack of childcare or not having you know enough present adults for all the children around, or I need to make dinner, or I just, I need five minutes to not be talked to. And that gets to matter too. Like that should count too in part of this conversation. So if it's helping you meet your needs, and that's also allowing you to meet your kids' needs, then I would say that that screen is benefiting the whole family. If it's causing more problems than it's worth, sorry, then then we can problem solve and we can see, can we make this work for us? So let's talk a little bit about older kids because my, well, my kids are older, but when you're moving out of the sort of like, okay, Paul Patrol right. is over yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. and sort of the like the parent has the authority because the parent really does know best. You know, mom really does want what's <laughs> best for me. Some point that wears off and you have these kids who like, you know, they will play all day or all night. They've got the spiral eyes going. They're very deep down the, you know, the rabbit hole of whatever they're playing. And it can be deeply distressing when you say to turn it off. And I have come to understand this for myself. I'm not a gamer that you can't just say like, it's six o'clock, you have to turn it off. You the, the, you know, I've had to learn the amount of distress that you'll feel if mom says you have to stop playing right now when you've put 25 minutes into something is great. So how do you suggest that parents of older kids that will probably just react like, shut up, you can't do that. You know, will resist maybe the end of game time. How do you help those older kids sort of find that ending for themselves? A lot of what you're describing has more to do with game structure. Like obviously the way they're going to talk is going to be a lot different when they're older, but a lot of that is game structure. So like open-ended games, a lot of social games, which definitely comes up with older kids, kids who are wanting to play with each other. So then it feels like, you know, if they quit, it's like they literally disappear. You know, it's as if they were playing outside and we just yanked them back in the house and then also if their friends are depending on them, there's that aspect. Yeah. So it's complex, right? The whole social aspect and things right, like that. Right, right. 
But just knowing some of that structure can also be really helpful. So if you know you have a finite amount of time, sometimes I'm always shocked at the things that to me feel so obvious that I'm like, oh, apparently I should have said that out loud. Like I thought it was really obvious when I said I'm going to make dinner that that means that dinner's probably in like a reasonable amount of time and not in like four hours, but apparently I needed to say it out loud. And I work in middle school and I often joke that if you should cover up the tens digit in their age to get their real inner emotional age. That might be the smartest thing I've ever heard anybody say <laughs> in this podcast. <laughs> The one is silent. I got it. Yeah, exactly. Because like when I'm dealing with an eighth grader, I'm like, if I pretend you're three, this will go probably a lot better. (laughs) No offense. (laughs) That's so smart. I have older kids and like, you know, when if I'm yelling up the stairs to them at 630 or seven, they'll hear me yelling and they'll say, what? And I'll, you know, say it's dinner, whatever. And then they like pretend they're super mad at me later that they didn't hear that me say that it was dinner. I'm like, I know you heard me. It's like 645. What did you think I was yelling about? But yeah, take 10 years off. And then they didn't realize it was dinner time. So with that in mind, I'm like, okay, I do need to make this really clear. So it might be like, hey, okay, we have 30 minutes. So, or however, like we have whatever amount of time, we have this amount of time. What is it you want to get done in this amount of time? Because then essentially what we're having them do is we're having them make a goal and we're having them do some end design thinking Mm -hmm. of like, what is it you want to do today? And if they're like, I don't know, it's like, okay, what? tell me one thing. Maybe it's something you want to feel. Maybe it's a person you want to play with. Maybe it's a place on the map you want to go. Maybe it's a campaign you want to run. Like, I don't know. I'm just, you know, then have them come up with one thing. Okay. That's one thing you want to do. When we have five minutes, 10 minutes left, whatever. I'm going to say you have five minutes. Make sure you've done your thing. Make sure you've gotten your thing done. You have five more minutes to get your thing done. Another question I love to ask, which is extremely helpful, I think with open-ended things, not just games, but like projects is how will you know when you're done? And I use that in middle school all the time when it's like we're getting the end of the class period, but we're working on something huge. And I'm like, okay, how will you know when you're done today? Because it's this, it just gives them an off ramp. And sometimes I will literally say like, we are going to write on a sticky note, what you're going to pick up with tomorrow, like where you ended so that you can come right back in tomorrow and be like, oh yeah, I was doing this. And for a kid who might like really open huge video games, like I'm playing Zelda right now, me and like 10 million other people are playing Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. And I sometimes need that for myself. Like I have to like put myself in a specific part of the map so that when I open it back up, I'm like, oh yeah, this is what I was doing. Oh, uh-huh. So like depending on your kid and who they are, you could write it on a sticky. Okay, tomorrow, the first thing you're going to do is you're going to go to the shrine, and write it down. And it might not mean anything to you, but it might mean something to them. And then the next day say, hey, okay, do you want to go to the shrine today? That's what your sticky note says. And they're like, oh, okay, great. And again, then we can have that conversation of like, how was that? Did it help? It, did it make it easier to stop when you knew what you could do tomorrow? Did it make it easier to stop when you had a warning? Did it make it easier to stop when you set a goal for today? And if they say no, then it's like, okay, should we try that again? Or should we try something else? Because then we're still building in that feeling of the boundary is not going to go away. We are still going to exist within limits. And it is my job to help you navigate those limits. Mm-hmm. It's the perfect example to me of how any gaming can be educational, right? They, having your teenager, your tween or whatever, they start to think of it 
with this sort of end, what did you call it? End design? It's a common term in education is like design thinking or end in mind thinking of like starting with the goal and working your way back to the beginning. And for your kid to have learned that skill is extremely educational. Yes. Yes. And chances are they've probably done that in another part of their lives. They've probably done that on a big project, or maybe they haven't, but then you introduce it to them in this way. And the message that sends to our kids is not, my parents think video games are the best thing in the world. They probably know that like, okay, you know, that's probably not our favorite thing that our kids do, but we accept it as part of their lives. But they will probably get from that interaction with us of realizing, okay, my adult takes this seriously. My adult takes my interests seriously. And I think that's a really important message to send to kids, especially, and I do think this relates to other guests you've had, talking about things like internet safety. A huge part of internet safety for a lot of kids is the way they talk to each other when they play online or chat messages that they send online or just audio messages to each other when they're playing games online. And if we care about that and if we want our kids to be safe when they encounter that, whenever that is, it might not be till they're in high school, but when they do eventually encounter that, if we want them to be safe in that, we probably also want them to come to us when things are not safe. And it's probably going to be harder for them to come to us and tell us those things if the message they get from us is, well, my adult just thinks video games are bad or a waste of time. If a kid comes to us and says, hey, my friend said this thing when we were playing Fortnite and I'm, I really made me uncomfortable. If the reaction they get is, ugh, I knew it. It's always Fortnite. That's it, young man. Right. <laughs> right. They're always hearing bad things in Fortnite, not when you're playing together. The message we're sending is this is a problem with the video game. And the message our kid is trying to send us is I'm hearing something from a friend that did that I didn't like. And what we're glomming onto is it's the video game's fault. Darn Fortnite. Well, right, right. Right. And it's like, if we really hear through to the problem, then we can talk about it the same way we would if a kid set, heard something over on a phone call or in person or in the hallway. And yes, we can talk to our kids about the way we talk to people online should be the way we talk to them in person. That's also an important conversation. But the safety aspect of I need to take this seriously, that can start with just taking their interest seriously and helping them manage it in a way that, again, benefits us as a family. I have learned so much from you today, Ash. We've been talking to Ash Brandon, the gamer educator on Instagram. So Ash, tell our listeners where they can find you and your work and everything that you do. I exist on the internet, mostly on Instagram at the gamer educator. And you can find me there talking all things screens and management and making it work for you. And thank you so much for having me. Oh, this has been great. Thanks, Ash. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it but I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. 
It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. Margaret, it's an exciting news day. An exciting news day indeed, Amy. A few years ago, we launched our first spinoff podcast, Toddler Purgatory, hosted by the hilarious Blair Brooks and Molly Lloyd. And guess what? Now, Blair and Molly are back with their all-new podcast, Unsticking It. You know Blair and Molly as two busy moms and actors, and somewhere between potty training and the pandemic, they both felt like they lost their creative kaboom. In their new podcast, Unsticking It, they are going to talk about how all of us can get back to what lights us up after motherhood. Amy, I need this. Me too. And Blair and Molly will be talking to fellow imaginative minds. We're talking actors, artists, and creators of all kinds about how we can all unstick ourselves from whatever muck we're stuck in. Follow, subscribe, and listen to Unsticking It wherever you get your podcasts. That's Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life stucks.